0: We have come out of quite a long time of traveling with the prophet Isaiah, who traveled with through Advent and into Christmas Day, and we paired Isaiah with Luke 2. So a couple weeks ago, we heard from the gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus coming into the world, the story of his birth, the beautiful and amazing and almost impossible story of God's incarnation, to be with us. God with us. Today, we mark a change. We're continuing with the Gospel of Luke. And we'll be traveling with Luke through the next two months. And we're looking at who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and what his actions, his mission, his ministry asks of us, invites us into. This morning, we start with Luke 4. So just a couple chapters later than where we were on Christmas. And Luke 4 sees us in the story, brings us to the story of Jesus in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil. Luke 4. And if you're reading from the Pew Bible, same as me, you can find that on page 1595. But before we hear the word... Let's pray for the Holy Spirit's presence with us this morning. Please join me in prayer. Our God of light and life, open our eyes as well as our ears so that we may not only hear your word preached today, but then see your word lived out in our lives and in your world through Christ our Lord and Savior, who is the light of the world. Amen. Amen. So Luke 4, starting at verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 13. The word of the Lord. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written that man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord for us today. So we meet Jesus here in the Gospel of Luke right between his baptism and right before he starts his ministry. So right before our story this morning, if you still have your Bibles open, you can see in chapter 3 the story of the baptism of Jesus. He's baptized by his cousin, John, in the Jordan. Same as everybody else, crowds were going to John to be baptized, a baptism of repentance. And Jesus was one of the crowd. Until the moment when he's dunked under the water and comes up, and the sky is opened and a voice from heaven says to him, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus in the form of a dove. It's a big moment. And then right after our story this morning, right after the temptation in the wilderness, you get Jesus beginning his ministry with this first sermon in his hometown where he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, similar to the ones that we read about in Advent, and says, That Messiah that you've been waiting for, that's me. His first sermon in his hometown, where he's known as an illegitimate, scandalous son of Mary, he's standing in front of them and saying, The Messiah that Isaiah was talking about, me. Pretty big, momentous occasion. And in between these two stories, in between these two momentous moments, we get this story where Jesus is alone. He hasn't preached a sermon yet. He hasn't healed anyone. He doesn't have any followers. He's alone, led by the Spirit into the desert for a time of fasting, of prayer, of testing, and of temptation and he, he's there for 40 days. Which, if you've read scripture at all or sat in church long enough, you know, 40 days should ring a bell. 40 days is a pretty key biblical number. 40 days was the amount of time that Moses was on the temple waiting, or on the, the mountaintop waiting for the law. Elijah took 40 days to get to the mountain of Horeb where he He saw God. Israel wandered for 40 years in the desert, similar to our story this morning, to repent of the sins that they had committed in the past. 40. 40 days. Important. Significant. But I love what Luke, who's a doctor, he's very focused on the body, I love what Luke tells us. So he was out there for 40 days. He doesn't go for the biblical interpretation for all the all the kind of all these big momentous 40 days, 40 uh, use of the number throughout scripture. He says, 40 days, Jesus was kind of hungry. Because that's what happens when you don't eat for 40 days. And, And so Luke, the doctor, just pinpoints us to this detail where he says, Jesus ate nothing during those 40 days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. I love that detail. I love that Luke draws us to that moment, to that description, to that reality that when you go for a month without food, you know what, by the end, you're hungry. And my husband can tell you if I skip a meal, I get cranky. So I have no idea what a month without food looks like. I don't think any of you want to know. Jesus was hungry. It's a simple detail but it speaks volumes. It reminds us in the story of temptation and power struggles, of trial and testing, that Jesus was human. I think sometimes we forget that detail. Jesus was human just like us. While on earth, Jesus was not Superman He bled, and he hurt, and he hungered, and he cried, and he laughed, just like us. And he was tempted, just like us. So right at the beginning, Luke reminds us that Jesus was hungry, to remind us that Jesus is human, to remind us that the testing that comes The rest of the story, this isn't some superhero swatting the devil away. This is a man wrestling with his hunger and his need, and he is weak and he is vulnerable. And that's when the devil comes. Matthew, in his gospel account of this story, says that the devil came at the end of the 40 days. Luke doesn't specify, but regardless, you can see that the devil sees an opportunity and seizes it. Jesus was hungry. Vulnerable. And that's when the whisper comes. That's when he hears a voice over the rumbling of his empty stomach saying, are you you hungry? You're hungry. Aren't you the son of God? See that stone over there? That stone could be a fragrant golden crusted loaf of bread with one word from you tell that stone to become bread you're the son of god aren't you loved by your father would he want you to go hungry feed yourself you have the power just tell that stone it's simple just just Make some bread. And why not, right? He's the son of God. He's just come from a moment in the Jordan River where the sky opens and his father looks down at him and says, you are my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. In another gospel story, the gospel of John, Jesus is actually talking about the kind of father that God is. When he asks the question, what kind of father, when his child asks for bread, gives him a stone? So what kind of father is our God? What kind of son is Jesus going to be? It's just bread, right? Well, it is and it isn't right we we know better than that it can't just be bread and on the surface this one seems to be just just simply human <laughs> if any who has tried fasting like actually tried fasting even for yeah, a few right fasting is hard fasting is difficult we don't do it often even though we're actually commanded by Jesus to fast we don't do it often because that's not for me. Fasting is hard. And it goes up against our human need for food. I I know that when I fasted, the moment I started, the only thing that consumed my thoughts was food. Not any particular food, I mean, lots of food in general, but there was this grimy, gross granola bar that I have no idea how long it have been in my cupboard, stale, all I could think about was that granola bar in my cupboard. I wanted that granola bar. That was the only thing in the world I wanted right now, was that gross granola bar, but it was in my house and I could eat it, but I couldn't because I was fasting. It's just bread, right? It's just a granola bar. But the temptation is more than that. It's a human temptation, because Jesus is hungry and worn down and tired. But there's something else going on here too. If you're really the son of God. If you are the son of God. Jesus has just come from his baptism. Has just heard the words of his father saying, you are my son, whom I love. The spirit has descended upon him. And that same spirit pushes him out into the wilderness and into the desert for a time of testing and trial. And that's important. Because this story is not just about Jesus trumping the devil at some kind of proof-texting exchange of wits. This is a true testing and temptation of what kind of savior Jesus is going to be. Of who Jesus is as the son of God. The first temptation, bread, seems innocent enough. You are the son of God. You're able to tell the stone to become bread. Feed yourself. Your father won't mind. He loves you, right? But the challenge, the test here for Jesus is to focus on his own needs. To doubt God's ability to meet his needs, to take matters into his own hands, to use his power, and he has power, but to use it for himself. Because, hey, he is the Son of God. And the other two temptations dig down deeper into this. They continue this tension about who Jesus is as the Son of God what kind of savior will he be? After Jesus pushes away that first temptation and, and the lie of self-sufficiency with the words of Deuteronomy, man does not live by bread alone, the devil, undeterred, comes back with a second temptation, offering him all the kingdoms of the world, which is his inheritance as the son of God, as the savior of the world, that's his inheritance. But the devil says, I've heard that might be a bit of a hard go for you. Does it really have to be that way? Can't you obey your father and take the shortcut? All you have to do is just worship me. But then it's all yours and you can do with it as you will and you can rule and govern and be the king of all the kingdoms of the world. Get there faster. Do your job quicker. Worship me. But Jesus resists the desire for that kind of power, for power over. He resists the lie of idolatry and false worship. That's not the kind of savior he will be. But the devil doesn't admit defeat. Third temptation. Up on the temple of Jerusalem, the devil getting the hang of this exchange says, it is written and quote Psalm 91. If you're the son of God, loved by your father, he'll take care of you, right? Take a step off this temple and see how much your father loves you, that he will rescue you from death. Don't you want to experience the fullness of your father's love? Just take a step off and see. He's promised, hasn't he? But Jesus refuses to test God, quoting Deuteronomy again, and pushes back on the lie that we can manipulate God into doing what we want or what we need or what we think is best or what he should do. That's not the kind of savior Jesus will be either. The temptations in the wilderness, this testing Jesus faced between his baptism and the beginning of his ministry, are all about undermining Jesus' identity as the Son of God. His calling, his ministry, his purpose, his vocation, his role as Savior. It's no coincidence that this time of testing comes right after that moment where the Father says, You are my Son the devil takes the opportunity to say and to try to test and to undermine what kind of son Jesus will be. Every temptation, every test was designed to question that relationship, to undermine and chip away at the trust Jesus had in his Father, to circumvent his Father's will for an easier way, and to go his own way, even with the best of intentions. This approach shouldn't surprise us, the tact that the devil takes. I mean, this approach by our enemy goes way back. It goes all back to a garden, to our first parents, to Adam and Eve. To the moment that Eve and Adam gave in to the lie that God cannot be completely trusted. Because like the serpent insinuated that God was actually holding out on them. Withholding something good and beautiful that, that should actually be theirs. Something that they're entitled to. And so they took it. They believed the lie. And they sinned. they gave in to temptation, they distrusted God, and they failed the test. And the enemy hasn't really changed this approach because it's worked quite well since that garden. Our testing most likely doesn't happen in a garden or in the wilderness, There's not too much desert around southern Ontario. But it may happen in a hospital room or a bedroom, sitting at the kitchen table or sitting in a pew on Sunday morning, when we are at our most vulnerable, when we are in a season of weakness and questioning and doubt When the whispers come into our hearts and into our minds. Can God really be trusted? Does he really have your best interests at heart? Will he really take care of you and those you love like he promised? Are you sure that that supposedly loving father isn't withholding something good and beautiful from you that you should take anyway? Do you really have to do it his way? Isn't there an easier way to go about this? In this way we are all sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. We fail this test again and again. We're human. But the good news, the saving promise we have and that we hold on to, is the assurance in the words of the writer of Hebrews that since we have such a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus resisted temptation for us. He emerged from the wilderness triumphant for us. He launched into his ministry with confidence and purpose for us. He healed and he taught and he laughed and he cried and he was human in every way for us. And though tempted to take the easy way out, when he was at his weakest, He refused, he resisted, and he walked to that cross for us. Because that is the kind of savior he is. Not only are God with us, as we celebrated in the Christmas story, but now here, as we go into his life, we see that he is also a God for us. If you think about the Gospels, you might be thinking, but wait, doesn't Jesus eventually make bread? And he does. Jesus eventually made bread appear. He had the power all along. Except when he does this, when he makes bread appear, it's not for himself. It's for a hungry crowd of thousands who gathered to hear him speak, to hear him And he fed them, he made bread because he knew their hunger and he knew their need. And as we come to the table in a few moments, to the bread and to the cup, to Christ's body and his blood, we come to this table because of his faithfulness, not because of ours, because of his victory. Because of his gift of grace. Because of his resistance. Because the one who refused to make bread for himself became the very bread of life given to us, for us, so that we would never have to hunger. We would never have to need. Because that is the kind of Savior Jesus is. Amen, amen. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we come before you grateful for your son, grateful for our Emmanuel, grateful for our Savior, Jesus, who resisted all temptation, who passed all testing to be the Savior that we need. We who are the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for the promise of your spirit. The same one that came upon Jesus at his baptism and led him into the wilderness is the spirit who leads us still today because of the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so we pray as our Lord taught us to pray, a prayer of trust and obedience, a prayer of faith modeled by Jesus and made possible by Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation. But forgive us from evil. For your heart. Amen.